she purchased four ounces of Imperial Majestic perfume at $12,721.89 per ounce. That's what it was going for yesterday. She took it and poured it on the head of a traveling evangelist who was teaching a group of prostitutes in a politician's house. How do you think you would respond, Aaron? And then she says, by the way, Aaron, I took the money out of our retirement account. I really don't know the evangelist either. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14 and read together an account of what happened in a similar situation. Mark 14, beginning with verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, the poor you always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportune time to hand him over. As we think about the book of Mark, we find that Mark, in the gospel that he writes, is revealing Jesus as unique, revealing him as the Son of God, the one who is sensitive to God's Spirit, the one who is able to resist Satan. Peter acknowledges him as Christ. We also find that Mark reveals things that God or Christ did that show he is unique. He is the son of God. He is able to resist Satan. And I'm just going to read a number of items that Christ has already done in the gospel of Mark when we get to Mark 14. He proclaimed the good news of God. He taught with authority. He quieted and cast out an evil spirit. 
He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed various diseases and drove out many demons. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He called Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He redefined family. He's a lord over nature. He could heal a demon-possessed man who was blind. He raised a girl from the dead and healed a sick woman. He fed 5,000 men. He taught that the heart, which displays words and actions, takes priority over traditions in loving God. Jesus had power over evil spirits, even when they were not in his presence. He fed 4,000. He responded wisely to the Pharisees' questions. He has power to heal a blind man. He is the Christ. He's able to cast out a difficult demon. He is willing to suffer for his father. And Jesus is worthy of worship. Is it any wonder the woman poured expensive perfume on Jesus' head? I think she understood to some extent who Jesus was. The theme of Mark 14 is Jesus being abandoned by many people. And in verses 1 through 11, we find what I would call the preparation for his going to be abandoned by people. And that is through being anointed. It acknowledges who Jesus was. We find in verses 12 through 26 concerning the Lord's Supper. In verse 18, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. He makes a prediction of Peter's denial in verses 26 through 31. And Peter says, I won't deny, but we know that he does. We find in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes Peter, James, and John with him to pray. And he says, watch with me. And what do they do? They sleep rather than pray. And they did that three different occasions. He's abandoned by the 11 during his arrest. And when he's before the Sanhedrin, they say, I, we don't know the man. Then he's abandoned by Peter when Peter denies even knowing him. At the beginning of the chapter, we find that who Christ is comes through loud in the sense that the woman is willing to sacrifice. It's interesting how this passage is constructed. In verses 1 and 2, we find that the teachers of the law and the priests are trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. Then in verses 4 through 9, we have the anointing of Jesus. And then in 11, or 10 and 11, we find that Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So we have an arrest, seeking to make an arrest, in verses 1 and 2, we find worship of Jesus in 3 through 9. 
And then we find a betrayal of Jesus in verses 10 and 11. Looking at that in a little different way, it's the chief priest, the teachers, the religious who are looking to kill Jesus in verses 1 and 2. It's an unnamed woman who is worshiping Jesus in verses 3 through 9. And then Judas is seeking to betray Jesus in verses 10 and 11. And he was an insider. Religious leaders and Judas were not willing to accept or acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and bow in worship. They chose to kill and to betray. The unnamed woman willingly acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God and expressed it in costly worship. So you look at the narrative, we find that chapter 14 is a new page in the overall narrative leading up to the cross. In verses, or chapters 11 through 16, all of the events take place within 10 days. The events here are tied in with the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the Passover goes back to Israel's history of being in Egypt. Coming out of Egypt, we know that they, an animal had to be sacrificed, blood put on the door. And the firstborn did not die, but the firstborn of Egypt did die. And they were to celebrate that every year. The Feast of Unleavened Bread involved a week. And we find that it's during this time that the religious leaders, the priests, and the teachers of the law are looking for a sly way to kill him. Now go back to chapter 11 of Mark and verse 18. Their desire to kill him ties in with what was said about the temple. In verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So just a short time later, in chapter 14, they're acting on what is stated in chapter 11 and verse 18. They're looking for a way to arrest him and kill him. It seems like the religious people were some of the hardest on Jesus. They're the ones that want to arrest him. They're the ones that want to kill him. And down through the pages of church history, you will find that is also true. Some of the greatest enemies to Christianity have been religious people. 
just as the teachers of the law and the chief priest. Notice what the text says back in chapter 14. They're looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. The idea of looking for carries a connotation of seeking to gain power over Christ. They want to control him. The word for arrest carries a connotation of seizing him. The word sly implies that they want to do it in a deceptive way. And kill is a cold, calculated plot. If you're going to kill someone, you think about that beforehand. They want to kill him. They want to eliminate him. It's interesting, too, that in the context of the Passover, a sacrifice would be made. There would be many people in Jerusalem, and there was going to be a death, Jesus. And that ties in with the Passover in the Old Testament. Death. So the parallel Passover involving Christ, but also People being in Jerusalem sacrificing because of the Passover. Jerusalem was where the Passover had to be celebrated. And Jerusalem's population would increase greatly during the Passover because people had to come to worship in Jerusalem. Now it's interesting that here's people that want to kill Jesus, the religious people, And verse 3 says, while in Bethany, reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster, a very expensive perfume. People went to kill, and here's the expensive perfume being used in worship of Christ. Now, he mentions that he's in Bethany. Bethany was where Jesus, during the last 10 years, Days of his life seem to spend a fair amount of time. We find here's Jerusalem, right here's Bethany, about a two-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethany. While he is in Bethany, reclining at a table, and it's clearly stated the man was known as Simon the leper. He would be the host. He must have been one who had leprosy but did not have it at the present time because if he had it at the present time, he could not, could not socialize like that. But the text clearly says, reclining at the table in the home of a man, Simon the leper. Now let's take our Bibles and go back to chapter 1. Going to emphasize something for just a few moments. Chapter 1 and verse 29 Chapter 1 and verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
Look at chapter 3 and verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that his disciples were not even able to eat. Look at chapter 5 and verse 37. Chapter 5 and verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing. Look at chapter 7 and verse 17. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Look at chapter 9 and verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? Look at chapter 10 and verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Now back to chapter 14. While in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man called Simon the leper. I want to emphasize that Jesus spent a lot of time in homes. He went to people where they were. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. And you'll find that the New Testament seems to emphasize opening homes. Being in homes. And I think it's important to emphasize that because Jesus wasn't expecting everyone to come to him. He went to them. And that's, again, emphasized in the epistles of going into homes, going where people are. So he is in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Who is present? Jesus. We find a woman, perhaps Mary. Some writers would think that Simon the leper was the father of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But anyway, a woman, we find the twelve are present, Simon the leper, and then according to verse 4, there's some other people. So what happens in the text? A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. And when it says very expensive perfume, later on we'll discuss next week, someone responded and said, you know, why are we doing this? This could have been sold for a year's wages. Now think about a year's wages. depends who you are as to how much you make. Think about 30,000, maybe 40,000, maybe 50,000, maybe 60,000 in today's economy. And what happens? The woman comes with this jar made of pure nard. She breaks the jar so the jar cannot be used again and pour perfume on his head.
Imagine someone showing up if Ben were to have a graduation party. with pure perfume that costs $60,000 and they pour it on his head. And we don't do that in our culture today, I understand. But people would say, my, what a waste. And that's kind of the response which we'll look at next week. But there would be no future use for it. The jar is broken. It was poured on Jesus. When it came down, under his shoulders and so on. And keep in mind also that women did not have a high standing in that day. And we're dealing with a very costly item. A year's wages gone in a moment. For what? Worship of Jesus. The text seems to make it clear that she had some idea of the identity, the character, and the being of Jesus Christ. Which led to worship. Whereas those in verses 1 and 2 had some identity of the character and being an identity of Jesus. And what did they do? They wanted to kill. And Judas later on betrays him. As a rule, it was a breach of etiquette for a Jewish male fellowship to be interrupted by a woman unless they were serving food. Mark often reminds us that societal and even Jewish values are not necessarily equated with Jesus' values. In this instance, the woman's intrusion is commended as a demonstration of faith. Mark stumbles over himself in the Greek to convey the value of the nard, an expensive oil extracted from the root of an Indian herb of the same name. The guests are understandably shocked by the anointing, estimating the value of the nard to be worth more than 300 denarii. And a denarii was an average day's wages. 300, at least worth a year's wages. Women were by and large excluded from careers that afforded the possibility of earning such wages or procuring objects of much value. The nard was probably a family heirloom, in which case it possessed sentimental value in addition to monetary value. Mark reports, or reports that she did not pour out the perfume but smashed the jar itself which means the vessel could never be used again, implying the totality of the gift. What a waste is what the people thought. It seems she understood to some extent who Christ was. Whereas the chief priests and teachers of the law and Judas had some idea who he was, but they responded in a negative way, she with worship. The identification of the town and house, which is unusual for Mark, 
repeats and establishes Mark's insider-outsider theme. As you read through Mark, there's insiders and then there's outsiders. And this seems to bring that home. Bethany lay outside of Jerusalem. The reference to Simon as a leper continues the outsider theme. For in Jewish society, a leper was an outsider par excellence. If, on the other hand, the woman who anointed Jesus is Mary, her status as an outsider is enhanced if she remains unnamed. Thus, the naming of Bethany and Simon the leper and the leaving of the woman unnamed all underscore the outsider theme. That this place, this house, this woman are those from which we would least expect an exemplary act of discipleship. But from the most unexpected quarter comes an act of sacrificial generosity that supersedes anything reported by Jesus' inner circle of disciples. The nature of the act itself seems to be what Mark desires for us to see. The fact that the woman's name is not mentioned forces us to contemplate the act and nature of discipleship. It's an outsider who takes a year's wages to worship Jesus. Judas, an insider, betrays him. The chief priest and the teachers of the law, insiders, want to kill him. The outsider worships in a costly manner. I think it's very obvious at this point in Mark's gospel that the identity, the being, the character of Jesus is clearly revealed and understood by people. Maybe not fully, but understood to some extent. Some people respond negatively. Others respond positively. But both recognize Christ in his character, his identity, and his being. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, they reject Jesus. The unnamed woman worships with a costly worship. Judas betrays Jesus. I would pose a question. What have you done with Jesus? How do you respond to the identity, the character, the being of Jesus Christ? Is it one of costly worship, costly obedience, or is it one of rejection? Now, I want us to stop and think for a moment that Mark's gospel probably was addressed to the Roman believers, the believers in Rome. And this account would be very encouraging to them because they were pouring out their lives for Jesus. They were convinced that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They were dying. Others would die in days to come. And they hear Mark chapter 14 and they think, ah, the chief priests and teachers of the law, they reject Jesus. But here's a woman who worshiped in a costly manner. Our worship 
of Christ, our willingness to die for Christ, is correct. We're on track. And then they hear about Judas and think he's off track. I think it would have been a deep, deep encouragement to them. Now thinking about the culture in which we live today, Our nation has changed and is changing. Christ today is one among many. Believers in Christ are rejected more than they used to be rejected. And I think we can expect more of that in the future. And we need to prepare for that. That we probably will experience more rejection for Christ in the future. But at the root of standing firm for Christ is a conviction that Jesus is who he claimed to be. In his character, his identity, his being. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who died for the sins of the world. That conviction enables us to stand when persecution comes. So you go to school, whether it be college or high school, and you face some rejection just because you think differently, you respond differently, you respond to other students differently. You have a different outlook on life. And someone pokes fun at you that you're just one of those quote-unquote religious nuts. Or in class, you respond to a question in all sincerity And the majority thinks differently than you. And you're poked fun at. A conviction of Jesus and who he is, is at the root. You go to your job. And you count your job as your mission field. And you give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And by the way, they would say the national average is that 33% of the time spent on the job is wasted. I just, I read that not too long ago and I thought, what's going on here? But you say, I want to give 100% to the job. And you're told repeatedly, back off. Don't work quite so hard. You're trying too hard. You're contributing too much. And you say, no, I won't back off. Because Christ is my Lord. He's my master. He is the son of God. He is deity. I'll continue to work hard as on to God. Encouragement for the Roman believers because of what is taking place. But I think also encouragement for us today. And later on, the 11, Judas betrayed Jesus. After the day of Pentecost, we find that they lived and they taught. And they ultimately died for Christ. Because I think they came to find encouragement in this woman. Her costly worship. So whether it be the eleven, whether it be us today, whether it be the Roman believers, the identity, the character, the being of Jesus... And how we respond is important. The chief priests, the teachers of the law rejected. 
the woman, costly perfume, Judas betrayed. So in light of the identity, the character, the being of Jesus, are we, are you, more like the chief priests, teachers of the law, Judas, or like the woman who worshipped in a costly manner? Are we valuing Jesus and worship in a costly manner? As we will see next week as we discuss the balance of this passage, that people make a choice in how they respond to Jesus. They make a choice in how they respond to those who worship in a costly way. My encouragement is that we as a body, we as individual believers, recognize the identity, the character of Jesus. And follow him in a costly way. As we live and respond in that way, then we can make our desire and our prayer. As Travis comes to lead us, make me a blessing, Lord, as we interact with unbelievers. Travis?